0: fresh meat one could easily make the argument that horror can complement every genre pretty well romance action comedy how about westerns while that discussion doesn't even need to be brought up the argument over which genre it melds best with is an interesting one in the eyes of many the one that merges best with horror is actually science fiction and yes they seem to go together, like peanut butter and jelly. The vastness of space, the isolation one would feel that far away from humanity, the possibility of life in other worlds, way out in other galaxies, or right up there in your suit. These ideas have given us some of the most memorable entries in the history of horror and suspense. Among those entries is a film that was conceived to be something truly original and was debuted as something considerably less than. Supernova, which premiered in the very sad after slot in the yearly calendar the second week of January, back in the year 2000, where it got its clock cleaned by my dog Skip and next Friday. Yes, in fact, it came out at 8th place in the box office that weekend, and what stings the most about it is that Supernova was originally intended to be a very original take on the genre, exploring philosophical elements of good versus evil, using practical effects for images that were described as grotesque or just plain disturbing, and even an appearance from Yelzebub himself. But it wasn't meant to be. Instead, let's take a closer look at what we actually did get. An easily forgotten entry into the genre. Let's break down what went wrong, and the spoiler alert here, folks, is just about everything, and stare in bewilderment at our screens as we ask what the fuck happened to this horror movie. Now, we've been here before with movies, trouble productions and all, and unfortunately, this is very familiar territory. I mean, the name of the show is What the Fuck Happened to This Movie. In fact, the majority of this video series covers some of the most popular trouble productions in film history. 2000 Supernova is another prime example of a film that could have been something truly special, but instead was a hell of a hot mess. Way back in 1990, the idea that eventually became Supernova was first hatched by William Malone who today is best known for directing such classics as Scared to Death, Fear.com, and the 1990 remake of House on Haunted Hill. His original idea was envisioned to be something of a modestly budgeted sci-fi horror film that, you know what, sounded like a lot of fun. I mean, let's be honest, who wouldn't want to see what was originally described as Dead Calm or Hellraiser in space? The original script was supposed to be about a space expedition that discovered alien artifacts out in the vastness of the universe and then brought them back to Earth for further examination, then naturally, all hell would ensue. One of the artifacts in the story was said to be a kind of portal to hell, which would have acted as a doorway to the underworld that Lucifer would, at some point in the story, actually come through. It sounded like a fun plot for a decent horror flick, and Malone envisioned it as being done on a budget of about $5-6 million. dollars. Please remember that number, folks. H.R. Geiger, best known for his design work on Dune and the Alien franchise, was approached to make some conceptual sketches, which he was very excited about. Even though most of the designs had descriptions written by Malone, the design for Satan himself was surprisingly a blank canvas, one that Geiger would get to conceptualize entirely on his own, which would excite any horror designer. Geiger worked tirelessly on sketches for some time. Upon completion, he was paid in Swiss francs for his concepts, and then he waited to hear about what was next. He ended up waiting for about five years. Finally, in 1995, the promotional booklet for the film was being passed around. It included all of his work, but the film's title had been changed from Dead Star to Supernova, and according to Geiger, it became a very simplified version of what originally attracted him to the project. The project eventually was purchased by MGM, and what followed over the next two years were several rewrites of the script, rehashing from writers whose names were credited in the product and writers who were given no credit at all. The film was originally about the discovery of a gateway to hell being transported to Earth, but now was about an intergalactic medical ship called the Nova, which answers a distress signal on the other side of the galaxy and finds an aging cargo vessel about to be sucked into the black hole. Clearly, over that long of a time period, the story for the film had become something else entirely. Australian director Geoffrey Wright, who was then best known for 1992's Romper Stomper, was brought on to helm the film. Some of the early casting decisions were Vincent D'Onofrio and James Spader. When Jeffrey Wright left the production over quote-unquote creative differences two months before principal photography even began, D'Onofio showed some loyalty and followed suit, leaving Spader alone for the project. Wright had an idea about shooting the entire film in zero gravity, which didn't sit too well with the producers. Looking for someone a little more grounded, Jack Shoulder was brought in to helm the film. Shoulder had a pretty interesting resume at the time, touting films such as Sketch Artist 2, which I've never heard of, Nightmare on Elm Street 2 Freddy's Revenge, which has become kind of a classic, and Witchmaster Part 2. Of course, he also did The Hidden, which I think is an underrated sci-fi gem. Even with the hiring being official though, MGM was reluctant to use a guy like Shoulder. James Spader began actively campaigning for Walter Hill, who was eventually hired to take over directing duties for the film. Hill might be a name that viewers recognize, as he actually had experience working on some huge films. He directed both 48 Hours movies and served as producer on Alien, Aliens, Alien 3. Hill saw tremendous potential in the story and was undaunted by the already troubled production. He jumped on the opportunity to helm the movie and to work with James Spader, who he saw as a huge up and coming talent and believed that the film had fixable problems that he could take on. Oh, how wrong he was. So, despite the movie going in an entirely different direction than what was originally conceived, things were kinda looking up. Other casting decisions were made, and it was shaping up pretty nicely. He had Angela Bassett, who had been nominated for an Oscar for What's Love Got to Do With It, Lou Diamond Phillips from La Bamba, Robin Tunney from The Craft, Peter Fascinelli, who was just in Can't Hardly Wait, and even Robert Forrester for a few minutes, coming off of Jackie Brown. The studio then, in another promising move, hired Digital Domain to hire the special effects. This was actually kind of a big deal, as the firm was very well known for their effects work on movies like Blade Runner, The Fifth Element, and Close Encounters of the Third Kind. They had just won an Oscar for their work on 1997's Titanic. All of this is well known, but what doesn't get mentioned was that at the point Digital Domain was considering signing an exclusive deal with MGM. Under the deal, MGM would get special effects for their films under market rates, which would have been massive. Unfortunately, the deal fell through just before production began on Supernova. MGM would now likely have to pay top dollar for any and all effects for the film, and because of this, the studio ended up scrapping half of the planned effects sequences for the movie. Among those sequences dropped was a zero-gravity sex scene that was kept in the script but was done with Robin Tooney and Lou Diamond Phillips strapped into seats that were mounted on a rotating pole that was later removed in post. Another sequence would have involved the ship's android completing tasks as the AI was manipulated by Angela Bassett's character using VR goggles and gloves. With the reduced budget, the production simply went with an actor dressed as an android. What actor? Who cares? One would assume a street performer of some kind. Another scene that was scrapped would have been James Spader's most heroic sequence, saving a crew member from a bubble of zero-gravity water. Because of the reduced budget, it was scrapped altogether. There's another side to this that we haven't mentioned yet. Amidst all the problems, there was the looming threat of a screen actor's guild strike. Because of this, MGM wanted to avoid any and all delays, giving Hill just mere weeks to organize the production he would be undertaking. Hill spent most of that time reworking the at-that-point-already-heavily-reworked script, not knowing that the president of United Artists, Lindsay Doran, was actually very attached to the script. Let's get to the plot, as it's relatively easy to understand. A medical vessel in space known as the Nightingale makes its way around the universe, responding to distress signals and saving who they can. As the film begins, the crew on the vessel is slowly adjusting to their newest member, co-pilot Nick Van Zant, played by James Spader. Nick has recently finished a stint in rehab for a drug known as Hazen. Things take a turn for the suspenseful when the distress call comes from across the universe from a man named Carl Larson, played by Peter Fascinelli, who just happens to be Angela Bassett character's ex-boyfriend, and Angela Bassett happens to be a former hazing addict herself. The Nightingale makes a very rare and very dangerous jump to reach the distress call. During the jump, the ship's captain, played by Robert Forrester for about 5 minutes, sustains horrible and fatal injuries. After the jump, the ship is caught in the gravitational pull of a nearby sun, a sun that has been drained of most of its fuel. The dimension jumping drive needs to recharge for the Nightingale to leave, and the recharge will be ready just 11 minutes before the ship is sent plunging into the path of a rogue moon. So you know, time is of the essence. Carl Larson takes a shuttle to the Nightingale and brings with him a glowing artifact, that was in the mind, an artifact that comes from intelligent alien life. Not long afterwards we discover that the artifact itself is some kind of bomb, one that could destroy the universe if the nightingale doesn't act quickly. Ba-ba-ba-ba. Bear in mind this is a very basic summary of the story. Even looking it up online you'll get a summary more detailed than this and the plot isn't actually that bad per se. It's a far cry from what it was originally intended to be, but on paper it seems like it would work. The question has to be asked, why is Supernova so bad? Because let's make no mistake about it, this is one really awful movie. Let's start with character development. Van Zant, played by Spader, and Evers, played by Bassett, both seem to have a purpose. Spader especially played Van Zant in a very intriguing, mysterious manner. During the first act of the film, the viewer wonders what his true intentions are, and as the movie continues, Spader brilliantly turns up the intensity of Nick as the plot becomes more dramatic. Angela Bassett shines as well, bringing out not only the intelligence of her character to life, but the intensity. Unfortunately, outside of our two main characters, next to no effort seems like it was being put in. This is almost entirely due to the majority of the character development being cut out of the film. Penalosa, played by Lou Diamond Phillips, serves literally no purpose in the film other to have sex with Lund, who is played by Robin Tunney, in a character that is portrayed as just astoundingly stupid in the film. The character of Benji, played by Wilson Cruz off of My So-Called Life, actually starts off pretty promising, with the subplot of his involvement being that the Nightingale's AI slowly becomes sentient, falling in love with him. But the writer seemingly just gave up on that plot line that goes ultimately nowhere, despite it being one of the more interesting things in the film. When production was wrapped, Hill spent about six months in post-production working on a director's cut. And even without special effects scenes added in, MGM was raring to get the film in front of an audience and set up their first test screening. Hill warned them that the screening would be a complete disaster, given that the film simply wasn't finished without the effects added in, and used this as an opportunity for reshoots. The studio refused, citing that the reshoots would cost the studio an additional $1.5 million. Hill then refused to return to the mostly finished film. While the movie was finally screened, Hill's prediction was right. The audience hated it. Over a decade later, Hill spoke about the experience with the Directors Guild of America, saying we limped in, and in post we had a tremendous amount of effects stuff to do. They decided they wanted to preview the movie without the effects. I said this was insane. It's a science fiction movie. The effects had to be added. They wanted to see how it would play, but I told them it would be like shit. Terrible. A very bad preview. You'll give up on the movie. These previews under those conditions are political. Are you saying you won't preview the movie? I said you own the goddamn thing. If you want to preview it, I can't prevent you but I won't go. They saw this as defiance. After that disaster of a test screening, MGM skipped back a director and revisited the idea of bringing in Jack Shoulder, you know, after the movie was pretty much done. He was hired and Shoulder quickly went to work, adding scenes with some more humor, deleting scenes that focused on character development, and putting in added emphasis on the kind of action only Supernova could provide. Indulge me and let us all marvel at one of the most choppy, incoherent editing jobs ever put into the final cut of a film. going through your records, you know, just to size you up see what I was dealing with. You are a recovering hazen addict. Even though Shoulder's cut of the film got a slightly more positive reaction from test audiences, MGM was not pleased with the cut they decided to reapproach Hill and possibly give in to his requests for $1.5 million worth of reshoots. Hill, though, had pretty much left the project behind, so when he was offered the opportunity to do reshoots, he proposed that they would actually cost closer to $5 million and said he would need a lot more time to shoot them. MGM refused, Hill walked away a second time, and Supernova was shelved. Finally, in August 1999, MGM found someone to take over the project, their own board member, Francis Ford Coppola. And if I get anything out of this job, it's knowing that at least one viewer will be shocked to learn that Coppola was indeed connected to Supernova. Spending another $1 million on re editing the film, Coppola's major contribution to Supernova was simply overlaying the faces of James Bader and Angela Bassett into the floating sex scene, feeling that those characters deserve some zero gravity loving as well. Predictably, Coppola's cut of the film tested poorly and failed to nab the PG 13 rating that the studio was desperate to get. The movie opened to a very depressing 6.7 million, and ultimately went on to gross 14 million during its entire box office run. Not even a quarter of what ultimately added up to a 90 million dollar budget. It not only bombed, it wound up becoming one of the biggest box office bombs in the history of film. And the movie was absolutely panned by critics, receiving a general score of 19 on 100 on Metacritic, a D on CinemaScore, Score, and a 10% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Surprisingly good with the general consensus proclaiming the film to be an insult to the sci-fi genre with no excitement and bad effects. They're not wrong. In the end, we're left with one hell of an unfortunate final product. Supernova had all the required elements to become a huge hit, a defining moment in a genre that could have set the standard for future installments, but instead set the bar so low audiences would happily go to theaters for, I don't know, fill in the blank with some awful sci-fi movie, just to get the taste of Supernova out of their mouths. But at least one person walked away with a happy ending. Huzzah, a baby on the way with Armageddon right around the corner. I smell a sequel, someone called Geiger for the Designs. For Joe Blowhor, this has been What the Fuck Happened to Supernova. And as you could see, a lot.